Welcome, guys, back to the Grateful Living Podcast. Today, I'm thankful to have David Simpson and Orlando Perdomo with me. Dave and Lando are the founders of Read and Retire, a platform that provides minorities with the financial knowledge needed to build generational wealth and achieve financial freedom in America through their weekly financial book club and their podcasts. Dave and Lando, thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having us, man. Uh, we're big fans of your podcast, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Uh, so, you know, for people that don't know you guys, why don't you individually um, both just set the scene for us, you know, where you where you grew up, your family situation, what type of kids you were, things of that nature. Dave, I guess I'm starting this one off, but no, thanks again, Arnie, for having us on on the Grateful Living podcast, man. Um, I know you from school and had the opportunity to go to college with you for four years, which was amazing in Boston. But uh, to take it back a little bit, uh, Orlando and I actually grew up in Brooklyn, New York, in the Bushwick area. Uh, and um, my parents were immigrants from Jamaica. And I'll let Orlando talk a little bit about his family in a second. But um, yeah, um, grew up in, in a low income area, predominantly. Um, and uh, for me, um, I didn't really know, you know, when it came from a financial lens, how to really manage my money, because I grew up in a household where, for the most part, my parents kind of lived paycheck to paycheck. So it was one of those things that you kind of get money and you have to spend money to kind of maintain the bills. Um, and I think that for me, uh, my parents also didn't have an opportunity to go to college. And so when that time came around, I think a lot of me and my friends were kind of going through the same things with trying to navigate the college process. And it wasn't until I got to Boston College where I kind of realized a little bit like, you know, the world's a pretty big place. Like people are <laughs> people are, are living a lot different than than how I grew up. And so I kind of started thinking about all the struggles in, in, in the world that come from either a lack of access to resources or a lack of access to capital. And uh you know, I was like, nah, I got to find a way to be able to get to a good like financial footing for myself. And then I ended up actually graduating from school and working in advertising for a little bit. But it was cool. But I realized that I wasn't really leaving the impact on the world that I wanted. And so from there, that's when I went back to the nonprofit space. And this whole time, uh, it was interesting because I actually went from for-profit to non-profit. And even though I made that transition, I was still like, man, I'm helping the world, but how do I, how is it that I want to leave my mark? And this idea of like financial education and, and financial literacy was still always something that was big to me. So I said, you know what, I'm in the nonprofit space. I see the need. I see the community. I want to help change that paradigm for people who look like me. And so um, I started, we, Orlando and I started uh, Read and Retire during the pandemic. Uh, when I got back from Boston to, to New York. Um, and yeah, we just really built the platform uh, for people like us, uh, people who want to make sure that they're using their money in the right ways and to do it through literature because um, reading has always been fundamental and reading is powerful. So, yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'm curious, the, the Jamaican background, has that had uh, much of an effect on your life and terms of do you go back and things of that nature or is it prevalent in your day-to-day so when i was a kid i didn't go back to jamaica too often it's a, you know I, I grew up in a with a family of like uh it was five of us and all four siblings so it's always pretty expensive to bring all of us back yeah, to jamaica yeah. but um re, being in a immigrant family where like your parents are from jamaica it's pretty huge because 
I think for me, what I've learned is um, just uh, this idea of grace, because you're, you realize that your parents sacrificed everything so that you can come here, so that you have an opportunity to build the financial future that you want. They already sacrificed their lives to set you up. And so it took me a while to get that because I feel like a lot of times when you're going through something, you're just kind of like, oh, I'm kind of in this situation. I'm kind of stuck. There's a lot of things that could have been done in the past, but it's like enough was done. And I think that coming to that realization and just enjoying my culture has been something that it's, it's taken some time, but especially when it relates to the financial literacy and education, it's like the people before you are the ones that have paved the way for you. Whether you think about it from like a civil rights standpoint in the community, like, you know, being able to even have the, the opportunity to get a loan in any neighborhood now, it's kind of crazy given, you know, some things like redlining or some other things or being able to have access to education when schools were segregated at one time. You're like the people who came before you, man, they've paid an incredible debt to be able to give you an opportunity. And as people, I think we have to push that forward in the ways that we, we give opportunities to others and, and build the kind of wealth as a system. You know, especially given what you um, are doing now, I'm curious, do you remember the first time you thought about finances? I mean, you know, obviously, I'm sure college and, and post-grad has like really opened your eyes, but was there a point, you know, were you thinking about it at a young age too, or? Yeah. Um, there's definitely, I think at a young age and I think, um, just because like you don't come from much money. So I think money is always a topic of discussion. I think your parents kind of shield you from it to some degree, but, um, even like when we were growing up, like we always at the top of our mind, always had an entrepreneurial, I think mindset and spirit, even to like, like gambling in high school which was like something that we kind of did like we learned how to play cards like we learned how to at least value money how to kind of count money and even through some things like that and it's like I mean people play cards over simple things but you know I think for us like being able to have an allowance and Orlando and I both work jobs so I'll let him talk a little bit about his background but we started working when we were like you know in our teenagers legally legally yeah. you know teenagers <laughs> yeah. and it's one of those things that it's kind of like it wasn't even I think for, for, I could say probably for both of us, it wasn't even a thought. It was like, yeah, once you're able to work, you'll get work because it helps to supplement income. Um, and so coming from that background, it's just natural. The, the other thing I wanted to ask, you know, being a first generation college student um, and, you know, not having, you know, the parents to guide you through that process and things of that nature. As you look back on your journey, is there any piece of advice that you would give to, uh, the current high school junior or senior who would be a first generation college student in a couple of years on um, maybe some of the things that you did right in your, you know, sophomore, junior and senior year of high school that got you to Boston College? Um, to be honest, um, I would say, yeah, definitely. I think for me, the biggest thing was like a support system. So I was actually part of a program in high school called Minds Matter. And Minds Matter was the reason why I ended up getting into BC, actually. I think it's funny, only three people in our class actually left New York to go to college. Like um, one of them, one of my boys went to Howard, another one went to Syracuse, and then I went to BC. And everyone else stayed fairly local for school, which was very interesting. But um, the reason why I was able to kind of get to Boston College was because I got support from two mentors who I was paired with since my sophomore year. And that's the big thing. When you come from a low income background, you have to supplement um, your efforts with people who have done something that your family or people in your network have not. 
And so if my family hasn't gone to college, I need to supplement that with the with a um, curriculum or with a program who can provide me that. If my family doesn't have the resources to get ACT prep or SAT prep, I need to supplement that. And so that's kind of, for me, I think what helped me to, that's the advice I would give to, to other people is to really think about how it is that they can supplement their current work and effort strategically, like working smarter, not harder. And so we know that, you know, letters of recommendation, standardized exams, those kind of things help you get into college. But it's kind of like, you have to also think about the bigger picture when it comes to um, the financial implications of those things. And so the more resources you have, the better, but not growing up in this country, our network isn't big. So how do you get a big network? You're going to have to, in, a, in effect, network yourself. So and you have resources like guidance counselors and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Minds Matter. Um, I guess the last thing I'll, I'll ask for you before I go to Lando, you know, you talked about your transition from New York to, to BC, opening up your world. I, I'm curious, you know, I guess what advice would you have for, for a college student making that transition as well from, a, you know, a lower income urban environment to a wealthier suburb environment, um, you know, where the students are maybe, you know, 70% or higher, you know, Caucasian. Yeah, I think the easiest thing to say, like the cop-out answer, I think a lot of people would give is to just kind of be authentic, to try and be genuine, to try and hold your head up. Um, I think when it comes to that kind of stuff, I think at some degree, you're going to have to learn how to, um, you're going to have to learn how to um, operate in, in, in white spaces and operate in spaces that are not historically where you're from. So if anything, it's kind of like you do have to be authentic, but you also have to find a way to, it's almost like a little bit like survival because now you're in a completely different environment. And so I would say the things that help is to try and find people who are similar to you and try and build a strong foundation. Um, You can still stay true to your core values and stay true to yourself, but recognize that you might have to find connection points with people and you might have to put yourself out there a little bit more because there are certain things that other people will not have in common with you. You know, it's not uncommon to, for people to not like the same music, to not like the same sports, to not like the same clothes. And so because of those things, you have to dig a little bit deeper, but you have to put yourself out there more. And so I think that for me, it was a matter of trying to find those common places where I know that I would be able to try and build a relationship, not necessarily a friendship at first, but something as simple as a relationship, which can blossom into a roommate, which can blossom into a friendship. And so thinking the long game, not rushing it and being patient still being yourself, but recognizing that um, you you will have to adjust in some ways, especially if you came from an environment like us where there was nobody who was Caucasian in our high school. Now I'm at BC where it's 70%, right? So it's gonna just a transition. Yeah, Mm -hmm. awesome. Lando, do you wanna wanna speak to your your background, where you grew up, your family situation and, and the type of kid you were? Uh, type of kiddo. <laughs> um, yeah, so much like Dave, I'm first generation, except I'm a Dominican kid. So it's a lot of Spanish instead of a Patois. And um, so I'm one of um, five, but including my cousin, it was six. And then plus the parents and the grandparents, you can, it was just like 10 of us in like a railroad, uh, three bedroom apartment. So no privacy, just a whole bunch of people on top of, of, you know, on top of each other. 
So um, I guess that sort of made me a bit more introverted just because I didn't really have space and I wanted to have my own personal um, thing going on. And um, so I, like Dave said, did not go away to school. I went to Hunter and mostly it was a financial reason just because um, my grades weren't that good. So I wasn't going to get a scholarship. So if I went away, it would have to be like on a loan or something. And I was in a weird position where my dad, um, he it's not like he didn't make much money. He was like, I guess, middle of the road American 50K salary. But it was just because of the way he handled his money. Um, I wasn't going to get his support to actually pay for school. So I ended up having to work, you know, just to pay my way through. So I went to Hunter. So it wasn't that expensive. Maybe uh, I think maybe three thousand a semester. So I ended up just having to work and then just pay for school. And then, you know, I ended up graduating like no money. But um, I think because of that and maybe an earlier moment, maybe um, like when I was younger, I remember my dad went through um, bankruptcy. I didn't really know what it was, but I think maybe having to pay for school and maybe that earlier moment when I was a bit younger, um, probably piece together how important uh, financial literacy is for me because because um, when you don't really have money you know you don't have money but then you don't really realize the extent until you look back when you're a bit older yeah and um yeah i mean after like um college um i had like a job laid out and i was gonna start working maybe in the marketing field and then do that for about a year and um but the real goal was to end up either being a police officer or a firefighter and I had signed up for the exams, but I ended up getting into a car accident and um, it um, I dislocated my hip and broke it. So essentially it was weird. It was like an overnight transition. And I'm not going to lie. I was kind of lost for maybe a year or two. And I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I eventually, I guess, um, I, I ended up here just deciding that um, I think helping other people and helping myself really. Um, through financial literacy is probably what I should be doing. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, you know, for people out there that um, have to, you know, work and do school at the same time, as you look back on your experience, any lessons there for you? For you? Um, yeah. Um, something is going to have to give. You either have to um, miss a few classes or... Um, yeah, you probably end up going to miss a few classes. It's, it's very difficult to work full time and also go to school full time. So you have to know where you want to like maybe sacrifice. Um, it could be the work and then, but then you can't pay for school and you can't pay for your books. So it's weird. So I spent a lot of times in college, not actually in college. I was just basically outside of college trying to pay for college. So there were classes where I swear I would never show up because I was like, I got to work that day. So I have to go and uh, do that. So I would always recommend to people to um, get put yourself in a position where um, you don't have to actually pay for school. Like if you can if you're if you can work hard and you're smart enough, try to always get a scholarship just because it's very difficult to do both at once. And um, I would never recommend anybody student loans just because of, you know, how detrimental they could be to the future. So I think um, if you are going to work and you are going to go to school, um, try and find all the different, um, I guess, all the different uh, ways people can you know, support you. Because there's a million ways to get funding now. You can either do a scholarship. Maybe you can talk to people. Maybe you can um, end up in a program like Minds Matters where they can actually you know, guide you towards um, being able to actually pay for your school. But, um, yeah, it's very difficult. And I, I think if you can avoid it, you should 100% avoid having to work and go to school. Yeah. Um... 
you know, and again, I, I don't know how prevalent it was, but is the Dominican background at all prevalent for you in your day to day? Um, um, I guess, um, not, not, not really. I mean, I, it's actually where my, you know, it's where my family comes from. I, I don't really uh, visit too much, but I did go once. And I think that was pretty important because it made me realize like, uh, Dave realized how much your parents actually sacrifice. Cause when you go back, the roads are like all dirt. Um, maybe, um, there's maybe one or two nice houses. The other ones are made of like wood. Maybe they're made out of like cement. They don't have doors. It's just curtains. And you realize that um, your family sacrificed a lot and it kind of puts this, um, I guess, chip on your shoulder because you know that um, you don't really have um, you don't have a um, room for error. You have to succeed. And I don't know, maybe, maybe just maybe it makes it more difficult or maybe it just makes you more ambitious. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Uh, same question I asked Dave. I mean, maybe you've already answered it, but um, for you, do you remember the first time, you know, especially given what you you guys are doing now that you were like, I'm going to learn more about finance or, I mean, was there a point where you were like, it really came into your mind at a, at a younger age or was it in these later years as you've started to see the world as a working professional? I think I had like maybe a few moments, like I said, you know, my, my father went through bankruptcy and then, you know, me having to pay for school, but I think it was probably... I think maybe a year, year and a half after I broke my hip, I think I was uh, just recovering, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And then it's like I just look back in all those moments and I realize the importance of actual, um, you know, just financial literacy, because it's just when you really think about all the hours you put into work and how much money you could have actually saved and invested, you realize how much you've wasted. And like Dave said, we started working when we were like 16, you know, me earlier than that, you know, just unpaid, maybe a couple bucks here and there. And. I've realized that I didn't really have anything to show for it. I had nothing saved. Um, I had no money invested. And I was like, um, I think that was the moment, maybe a year and a half after. And I realized I need to get my finances together. Yeah. Talk to us about uh, the hip. That was a long process, right? Oh, and yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> Telling you, man. <laughs> sitting down just for like months on, like it was a few months I was just sitting down. I was just going to therapy. Um, back and forth, Dave would come to my house every once in a while and just visit me, which I appreciate a lot. But um, it got me thinking a lot about what I wanted to do. But it was um, it was difficult. It made you realize how fragile, um, I guess, being a person can be and how everything can literally change in a matter of maybe a two, three second decision. So um, and I'm not gonna lie, it has been like real difficult um, just trying to um, at least at the time trying to just make make sense of it all because it seems so random and um and you know to this day it still bothers me like actual like the physical pain and stuff but um uh yeah it just it got me thinking a lot and I don't want to say that if it hadn't been for that I wouldn't be you know doing this but um I think if it wasn't for that I wouldn't be I definitely probably wouldn't be doing this yeah I think I'd be <laughs> some terrible dude some terrible firefighter somewhere, or maybe some dude in some marketing department just not working. Yeah. Any uh, piece of advice for anybody as you look back on your journey, uh, rehabbing and, and things of that nature that um, might help them out through their process? Um, I think um, just take it maybe. Um, like, I remember this uh, video I saw on uh, Jordan Peterson. He was, he was talking about how he would um, decrease the amount of time he had to think about. Because one of the 
weird parts and like difficult parts about uh, being injured and not being able to do things you want to do is that um, you start to look towards the future and the future looks really grim. So I would suggest maybe take it, um, you know, just maybe a minute ahead, maybe think maybe 10 minutes ahead. Don't try and like um, think too far ahead and maybe take things one minute, two minutes at a time and just shorten your day up because that way it might be a little bit more helpful throughout those tough parts instead of thinking, oh, where will I be five years from now? Will I still be in pain? This or that. Just take it, you know, maybe an hour at a time. Cause I yeah. think that helped me out a lot. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, now that we've, we've caught up on both of your personal lives, you know, talk to us about the origin story of, uh, read and retire. When did you guys think of it? When did you guys get together? Talk to us about that story. Well, it started with a vending machine. I actually started with a club probably like three years ago like, because because like I think actually it started even even further back I think for me with like potentially a casino because to be honest at every point in my life like no matter where I've been I've always been inspired by something and I think as you get older your inspirations change when I was in high school I told you I learned I, it was funny like one of my really good friends uh he did a i think or oh no he, I, I don't know if orlando was in we were in the same class but uh i don't know if you were in you helped david g with this presentation yeah uh, oh, that was you, you were there yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah so <laughs> we had a we had public speaking i'll never forget in my 10th grade class this is all the way back and um we had a how-to project and it was how to do something and david my one of my good friends taught us how to play poker and so that's when we first learned how to play poker and we started playing cards all the time and after a while, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit from the jump. And I was like, you know what? One day I want to start a casino. But I was young and I didn't really put two and two together. But after school, I was like, OK, well, the casino is not it anymore. I don't really we don't I don't really like gam like playing cards or anything like that too much anymore. And then I went into school and I was like, you know what? Like going into a place like Boston, you know, it's obviously a predominantly like white city. I was kind of like, man, there are no, there are not too many or as many like inclusive places for like, you know, people of color. It would be kind of cool if we created an uh, like bar or like a nightclub or a lounge for people who are like that. And so we started probably like back in like 2017 or 2016, Orlando and I like thinking about this idea. And then uh, we also really enjoyed at the time, like actually going to different places, trying different things, hanging out with friends. And then over time, obviously like Orlando got injured and then we got older. We didn't go out as much anymore. And then we're kind of like, man, actually like, I don't even know if that's the space that like I necessarily like want to be in. And then fast forward to another idea that we had where we actually wanted to think about doing vending machines for a little bit, but the idea or the concept behind it, and I'm gonna copyright this right now, but <laughs> now nah, it's it, the idea was, it was going to be called vendors. And if you think about it, a vendor is somebody is somebody that gives somebody or sells somebody something. But then the idea that um, we have these vending machines, that's where you get the vend. The doors part is a vendor, but then it also has doors, you know, opening up doors to the community or opportunities to the community. And so we wanted to use vending machines as a way to open up doors or opportunities to kids in the community. And along the way, we kind of realized, like, man, like the vending machine part is not real it's the, the name is cool but the vending machine part is not really what we're trying to do like what we really want to do is we want to provide opportunities to kids in the communities why do we need why do we really need the vending like and so we just went with read and retire since then and for us when i thought about it to be honest it was it took me maybe like i, I kid you not maybe like 
15 seconds to think about the name. It was, I was like, you know what? I really want to think about creating a space where people are learning through the through the literature and the insight and information from people who have achieved extraordinary wealth. The best way to do that is by reading. And I think that for me, it, the, the name flowed easily. It was like, if you read, you will retire. Like it was, if you get the knowledge and the insight from the books, like you will be able to end your life whenever you want and choose to work or not work um, because it's all there. There's no shortage of information these days. It's just a, are you applying it? And the fastest way to do it is through reading, I believe. So. Yeah. Uh, two failed businesses under our belt before we started. We barely started. Not real businesses though. Just more high ide- ideations. But, yeah. But how many, how many do, do we need to have? Isn't it like every millionaire has like seven failed? Probably. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome that you, you were ideating and then um, it eventually came to this. That's cool. Yeah. And I don't want to and I also feel like um, I don't want to overlook that either, because I think there's a lot of people who they have an entrepreneurial spirit. And they, I feel like if you're a very big visionary, like I'm a vision, I consider myself a visionary, someone who's always thinking about the future, like thinking about where I want to go with something. And it's like if you are a visionary, then I feel like you always see so many different paths to achieve like an outcome. Um, and so I think that the thing is, I would tell people is not to force it because I feel like when it came to like the casino or the bar or the vending machine business, what it really boils, what it, the, all of those are like experiences that help you to find your lane. And I think it came to a heads with the vendors thing. Cause it was like, well, what are we really trying to do? If the goal is to try and empower the community, let's just focus on opening up doors and opportunities. And that's where you find your thing. And then you're supposed to just like run with it from there, but it takes a process, right? This is over like technically whittling down stuff for like through four ish, five years, almost, you know what I mean? So. And you guys were very serious about it. I mean, you came to me about location ideas and, and things of that nature and what would be in the bar and, and stuff like, I mean, you had serious consideration with all of these things. So wasn't like just uh you know put it out there and just think about I, it i actually still have the business plan like we wrote an entire business plan with financial projections and everything no. um and i feel like for me it just got to the point where it was one of those things where it was like um i, I had to see it through like i had to have everything had to have the entire business plan document for me to take a l- fresh look and for me to be like i have this idea i have this business now do my does does my social um passions align with where this is at right now and it was just like i don't think it's a fit yeah one of the things that you know especially because we live in such a corporate world a lot of people are afraid to start um i'm curious you know your guys's thought process with respect to actually going from all right we have this idea of read and retire let's begin the process. What, what, how did you get over that fear? Well, um, I think uh, me and Dave have this interesting dynamic where, like you said, you had to see it through. He's more of a, he's very attention to detail. He'll, he'll have everything down. He'll make bullet points. He'll, he's a visionary. He'll write everything down. And I'm more of a, just, ah, just go with the flow sort of guy. So I think, um, Whenever uh, he had maybe doubts or anything, I just tell him, let's just do it. And if it comes out crappy, we can always just fix it as we go. So I think it's just the natural dynamic that we have. 
um he i guess pulls me in and raids me in if i'm like maybe too um if i'm not thinking things through too much and you know if i feel like maybe he's too um focused on the small details i'll tell him we should probably just do it now as is so i think that's just something that comes from our um friendship more than anything else yeah uh, speaking of that um that's one of the tough things to do in life is to you know have a personal relationship a friendship but and then now also have a business relationship i'm curious how you guys have uh navigated you know if one of you has a different vision on on something how how do you navigate that and any pieces of advice for people out there who are friends and are working together yeah i can start i can start with that one um i mean i think uh i think it's one of those things that you just learn over time like i think there you it's like anything like transitioning from like a friendship into a business relationship there's going to be transitions there's going to be things that you might not see eye to eye on i think the thing that i always try to remember is we have the same end goal like we're on the same team so we have to try as best as possible to not to like look at every look at the issue or the problem as like the thing we're trying to solve and not each other cuz like it's like at the end of the day, like I love Lando and I know Lando loves me, but it's like if we have a problem, we are on the same team. So we got to focus on the problem. And I think that is in my head, like what I think about, it's like I don't have a problem with Orlando or it's like my feelings about Orlando don't change, but we got a problem and we need to work on the same team to address it. We might come at it from different angles and that's where like the tension comes. But I think that that's how you move past things. And I think as long as you remember that, because I think. The thing about business, you know how people always be like, oh, don't mix, mix business and pleasure. I think the reason why is because like it usually brings up a lot of emotions because you know a person well. But I think if you think about, OK, well, I don't feel any ill will towards him because that's one of my really good friends. So I know that it has to be like the issue. And so it's just you got to communicate that. Um, but I think when it came to just like the transition into um, forming that, we kind of. I think for us, it was just kind of one of those things that we won't really know how it goes until we do it. Like we can talk about what that's like. I think we want to make sure that we're that we have some clearly defined roles because you know what I mean? Like we want to make sure we're giving each other the creative space that we need to like do whatever it is that needs to tackle. So if like Orlando's working on content, I'm going to give him creative reign. If I'm working on the finances, he's going to give me creative reign. We need to have those lines drawn. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like you won't really know what it will look like until you do it. So, yeah, like like Dave said, I mean, at the end of the day, we're we're basically this is just basically a uh, marriage. <laughs> That's basically what happens. <laughs> we just tr- we just try to solve the problem and make sure that we're not um doing things that will harm like the relationship. Because, I mean, it's kind of I mean, sometimes you're definitely going to rub each other the wrong way. But it's when you really think about it, how can you be mad at the guy that showed up that always shows up first whenever something terrible happens? To you? <laughs> you can't. So I think just um, remembering, um, remembering um, what the relationship was before and and um, making sure, like Dave said, that you um, address the problem and remember that they're not the problem. It's just an issue with the uh, business. Awesome. Yeah, that's great advice. All right. So let's let's talk finances. So uh, you've done two books so far in the book club. Do you want to talk about maybe. I guess some of the lessons from either of those books or whatever you want to talk about with regard to the book club so far. 
Yeah, so I'll actually do the first book and then I'll let Orlando take the second one because I think he really he we he loved that book a lot. Um, but yeah, so we the way I started off reading retire was honestly just like a, a book club for my friends. Like I was like, if we can read our way to retirement, I'm already on a good path towards getting there. Orlando's on a good path to getting there, but what's the point of getting there if you can't take your friends and your community with you? And so the book club started virtual and we meet weeklies at 8 p.m. on Thursdays, and we basically break down a book. So we take a look at the best, you know, wealth building books out there from some popular or best-selling authors. And then we say, okay, every week we'll do one chapter. So this week is chapter one. We break it down to nuts and bolts and then we continue. So at the end of it, someone feels like they have concretely dissected a book and know exactly what they need to do to like really get on that path towards wealth. The first book that we read was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. It was an instant classic. Um, And this one was definitely more... uh, rule oriented, I would say, where uh, the author, he grew up basically with um, two fathers, one biological father and one father who was his best friend's father. And both of them kind of taught him different principles about money. His dad was highly educated, working class. Um, His real dad, biological dad was highly educated, working class. Um, His dad uh, worked a nine to five job, owned owned a big home, while his best friend's dad, the other person he drew inspiration from, his dad uh, owned a lot of businesses, didn't graduate from high school, had operations and was a manager um, and kept his expenses low. Actually lived in a very, you know, regular small house that was kind of breaking down. And across those, I think the biggest lesson, the biggest takeaways that I would say I've learned from that book is just there's one rule to becoming wealthy. Um, the reason more people aren't wealthy is because they don't follow this one rule. And it's you need to know the difference between an asset and a liability and buy assets. So asset is anything that gives you money, puts money into your pocket. A liability is anything that takes money out of your pocket. If you want to do it in simple terms, we need to start increasing the amount of things that will put money into our pocket. Stop putting our money and dollars into things that take money out of our pocket. And so that at a very high level was the main takeaway in that book, but he has, you know, about nine other rules or so that help to undergird that main principle to help us build wealth. So it was a great read. And I'm sure I think everyone liked it for the most part. And yeah, if you want to listen to um, what they, what we spoke about in those book clubs, those are all on YouTube, correct? Yeah, correct. The Rich Dad, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you can see each and every class on, on YouTube. So um, yeah. And shout out to you, Arnie, for for coming through every week, um, pretty much and helping to just add to the discussion. I appreciate that, too. We definitely do. Of course. We definitely do. Yeah. Um, and then the second book was um, Tre- Tre- Tresh's book. Yeah, um, it's got Trench um, set for life. Yeah. Set for life. Um, like Dave said, that is my favorite book. Um, just because um, unlike um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he gave you concrete numbers and um, what would, what I liked the most was, I guess, the undertones of just personal responsibility. Um, he emphasized that um, the only person who's going to pull, you, you know, yourself, out, uh, pull you out the mud is you. And um, I've been following the book a lot just because one of the first things he talks about is getting $25,000 of financial runway. And I just really like that idea because it essentially just meant he wanted you to start saving money so that you could buy your time back. And that's just a concept that I really do love, because if you do have enough money, then you can pay for your time and you don't have to do things that you don't want to do. And I'm a big lover of just freedom and being able to just do whatever you want. So um, I just really, really did enjoy that book. Um, And it was just because it was so practical, too. It was, you know, 
Um, how about instead of trying to save money on like, you know, buying food and stuff, let's just um, live at a cheaper place. Let's just maybe walk to work instead of um, having to, you know, take an Uber or maybe take the train. And he just tackled a few problems that I just don't see most people actually thinking about. They just say, oh, my apartment's 2000. I'm just going to have to pay that instead of, you know what, I can find someplace cheaper, get a roommate. And then I'm saving a thousand dollars a month and that's 12K. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, it was just that it was just the practicality of the book. And um, I just like um, the fact that um, I've been able to apply it in my own life. You know, got the 25K. Now I'm headed to the 100K and then we're going to see what's going to happen after that. Yeah, 100 um, percent. You know, as, as you guys have started on this journey, you know, are there any financial myths or financial truths that come to mind as uh, as you've uh, like maybe generalizations or, or specific things, whatever comes to mind? I think, yeah, I'll start off with my, with the number one myth that I think like I hear a lot um, is I don't like, I don't have enough money to start saving or investing. And I feel like for me, that's probably one of the biggest myths that I hear because I feel like everybody could always start somewhere. I'm not, it doesn't, you know, every, every, I know there's a lot of people who live paycheck to paycheck, but I also realize that, you know, you can probably put $10 away a month. If you put $10 away a month, the way compound interest works is it'll help to multiply it. And if you put that away in something that's safe, or if you invest it over time, you'd be surprised that how much little can become a lot. And I think that this idea that, you know, I don't, I, I don't have enough to start, you know, I, I'll just spend my money. And it's kind of like, I think you do have enough to start. You just have to be willing to put money away even if it's a small amount and recognize that little becomes a lot when you can multiply it over time, you give yourself a horizon. So that's probably one of the big, biggest myths I hear a lot. Um, for me, um, just the amount of math that's not included in actually reaching wealth. Cause you would think that somebody who, you know, became a millionaire or, um, you know, has a lot of money would have to be like a math whiz. But the truth is, um, I think it was Dave Ramsey that said this. I'm not sure I might be misquoting it, but like um, personal finance is less about finance and it's more like personal. And it's more about building the habits and the discipline to be consistent and just take actions that don't require you to actually have an advanced math degree and will, you know, eventually get you to that point. So um, I think that's it just because a lot of people think about reigning or getting their finances together. And they think, you know what, I need to know um, what this does, what this is. And the reality is you don't really need to know that you just have to be consistent and it's good to learn. But if you can't understand some of these things, then you can always just throw money into like an index fund. And over time, you know, like they said, compound interest. Yeah. One of the things that I um, really enjoyed from learning from the book club was the fact that, um, you know, often holding a large amount of money in a low yield savings account really isn't all that valuable as a, as a result of learning about the impact of inflation uh, through some of the presentations you guys made um, for the book club. Um, do you want to speak to, to what, you know, elaborate on that and, you know, inflation um, and how and things like that? Yeah, I can speak. Uh, I don't know. You can do high yield or your, uh, or I can or low yield. Yeah, you, I can do ahead, do, you yeah. know, you, you love talking about that inflation. 
Yeah. So, no, nah, Arnie, that's one of the biggest things. So, especially in uh, Set for Life, Orlando touched on it a little bit, but the main principles behind a lot of the way that people build early financial freedom is really this idea of how to scale your financial runway, giving you the opportunity to have a, a sizable amount of money to make a move. So, by doing that, what we talked about is before you start building your financial runway, there's three places your money should go. One, you should want to make sure that you are putting your money, you have an emergency fund. So if anything crazy happens, you have like one to 2K to help tackle that emergency. You want to make sure that you pay off bad debt. So anything with a high interest rate, that's actually going to eat away at any gains you would put in the market. And then third, that's when you want to start building your financial runway. You want to start scaling that. The thing about it is when you start building your financial run, when you start getting money, you know what I mean? A lot of times people will put it into a checking account or a savings account through their regular bank. But what you want to do is you want to make sure that you have the money in your checking account really to just be for your emergency fund, maybe a little bit more. And then a good portion of your money should be probably be going into a high yield savings account if you're saving it and you're not investing in the market just because you get a little bit higher of a percentage and you have those dollars working a little bit harder for you. The reason why at the end of the day, like I said, the different the, the one rule you need to get wealthy is you need to know the difference between an asset and a liability and invest in assets is because every day that we wake up, the value of our money is decreasing. It, and we talk about this on the book club, but, you know, as you guys might know, like an inflation, it's just an economic term and it means that there's a general increase in prices. And so I believe that um, they said, uh, I believe inflation is about 3.2% every year. So that means every 20 years, the prices in our economy will double. However, our dollar bill, the purchasing power of that dollar remains the same. And so what that means is if $1 is buying me one bag of chips or two bag of chips now in the 20 years, it only buy me one, but it's the same dollar. And so every day we wake up, we, we effectively get poorer. And so what that means is the reason why it's important to recognize what inflation when building wealth is because that means that in order for us to actually really scale our money meaningfully, we have to grow it. We can't just grow it, right? We have to be strategic with how, with how we grow it. So our money needs to be coming back to us. We need to have an ROI that's greater than inflation. Because if 3.2%, if my money, if the purchasing power of my money is decreasing by 3.2% every year, my assets can't just give me 2% or I'm still losing money. Maybe not as fast as everybody else, but I'm still losing money. I need my ROI to be at least inflation on any of my investments so that my purchasing power of money is, is remaining consistent. That's Yeah, that was a great lesson for me. Um, and I think for, for a lot of the people in the book club, because I think a lot of us had a lot of extra money in the checking account that's just not making any money. And in, and in fact, losing you know, money. Yeah, losing you money daily because even if prices only go up two percent, your 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 checking account has decreased by two percent within that year. Um, also, all the time I think is probably important too. The time that you could have actually been making money with your money, that's also lost, which is probably even more than like the three percent per year. That compounding interest. Yep. Yeah. Um. You know, I guess, do you want to talk about maybe do you have any thoughts on, uh, you know, real estate, crypto, anything, all these things are uh, that are going on around? Um, I mean, I'm not really too um, 
all I know is right now it's not a good time to buy real estate. I, that's what I've been hearing. I haven't been doing too much research into it, but I know that um, I think uh, the bank loans aren't too good. I think the interest is a bit too high right now. I'm not entirely sure. I haven't also don't um, quote me on that, but um, that's, I think mostly the information we probably have is on crypto though. We, we've had like maybe um, two segments, wait, no, maybe three segments where we, we talk about crypto mm-hmm. at least a little bit with Raj from the book club. And um, you invested in uh, Bitcoin recently. I remember I saw oh, that. Yeah. So this week, you should first. probably tell them about that. How, what, what, what coin did you invest in? Oh, so I invested in crypto this week and it was Bitcoin. Um, I have like a few thoughts on on both. I think for the for the real estate piece, um, I think that like right now the market is crazy. Like I think houses are at a whole all time high. I think I saw an article this week that said like the median household, the median price of a house in the United States is like three hundred and fifty thousand, which is insane. Um and I feel like right now, like you just never want to buy anything when it's at an all time high. And so if you know the housing market is kind of at an all time high, it's similar to if you're investing in you know, the stock market. You never want to invest at the top of the market. You want to try and you know, wait until things moderate, like become moderate. Of course, you can never time the market. So at some point, you're going to have to make a move, right? Like if you're, if you're looking for a house, at some point, you're going to have to make it. You just want to make sure you're not overpaying because then your equity won't be built in and you'll kind of be not upside down, but kind of upside down in your deal, especially if you're trying to use it for a, um, a rental property. Um, when it comes to the crypto piece, though, we have done a lot of crypto segments on our, on our book club, which I think has been pretty great. Um, and I think I think cryptocurrency is interesting. So a lot of you guys might know, but cryptocurrency is just like a digital currency that uh, it's not a, it's not it doesn't have to be said, but it's not like a physical coin or anything. Um, and these digital currencies have like a stored value online um, and they translate into real dollar value. So they have an equivalent. And essentially, like the way I look at it, uh, I think in some regards, digital currency will be the future. Um, I don't think that we will. Dis- I don't think paper money will it completely be gone? It might take like a few generations, but if you look at the way the world is going, I really believe that we're all moving to a point where in like 40 years, we won't really be pulling out dollar bills. We'll be opening up a a digital wallet on our phone and paying for transactions. Right. And so if that's hap- if if that's kind of the way that I'm seeing, uh, I'm seeing things go and I'm seeing people move into that space. We are, you know, the way it happened, the reason why this is so interesting is because for a lot of people, it becomes a lot more efficient when it comes to transferring money. Now you can do transactions peer to peer. We don't need an intermediary um, and we don't need to go through people. If I want to borrow money or something like that, it's like I can just I don't need a bank to send. I don't need to send it. If I want like it would almost be like if I needed to get 10 million dollars to London tomorrow, what would be the easiest way to do it? A boat. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's kind of yeah, like, well, crypto, yeah. crypto you know, crypto, yeah. I can get it to you ASAP. And so. Yeah. It's kind of like the way the world is moving. We see that. But for me, I think I, the reason I invested in Bitcoin is because uh, for me, uh, Bitcoin is probably one of the safest like of the cryptocurrency coins. The reason I say that is because um, really because of its scarcity. Um, there's only going to be, yeah, I believe, 21 million Bitcoin. And so because of that, um, eventually there, there won't be any. And I think three million have been lost because certain platforms kind of phase in and phase out. So it's always important to be mindful of that too. Like 
not to say Coinbase is going to disappear, but it's always a, you never know, because a chance, but even though it's IPO'd and stuff, but yeah, I think um, for me, it's kind of like the use cases are interesting for Coinbase. It's gotten a lot of institutional adoption. So you see institutions, you know, banks and other uh, corporations and companies accepting Bitcoin. And because of that adoption, I just feel like it's, it's an asset that's worth having and holding. And so for me, I did invest in Bitcoin this week, but I invested at the bottom of the market. It went under 30,000 for the first time in just since January. Like I said, I never buy it a high. Two, I invested an amount of money I'll be willing to lose if Bitcoin went to zero. Like if Bitcoin went to zero, I'll be like, I'm not fate. Like it's, it is what it is. And then three, I'm going to plan to hold it long-term. And so I think because of those three things, I felt comfortable doing it. But I also recognize, like I said, I think digital currency is the future and it's kind of the way that we're, we're moving. And so also we're, I thought it was great because we're still early adopters. Only 2% of the world has adopted Bitcoin. Only 17% of adults actually own Bitcoin. So People think it's late. It's very early. Like we're we're in the baby stages of this thing. So well, most of the world is broke. That's, that too. Uh, so. <laughs> that too. That is true. When you think about the world, man. If what did they say? If the world was a hundred people, only one person would have a college education. Crazy. Yeah, man. It's um. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um. You know, as as you guys have gotten into this sphere and um and started reading a lot more, I'm curious. You know, do you have any pieces of advice to, you know, your younger self or what would you say, you know, to yourself if you would go back to 18 or to 22 um, now with the knowledge you have today? Um, I would definitely tell my younger self not to go to school, not to go to college, because um, I mean, I graduated and now I'm working at a minimum wage job and I realized that had I not gone to school and just use that time to work um, because my main way of investing is through stocks and you can just do that um, regardless of your education level, regardless of how much money you make. So I would have told myself, don't go to school and instead um, read more books about finances and um, invest money. Because I'm sure if I had started at 18, by the time I reached 25 now, I would have had probably a sizable for, small fortune. I think, I mean, at, at the rate I'm going now. So Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then for me, I, I feel like I would do a little bit more like philosophical advice. I would tell myself to uh, give myself a lot more grace and to enjoy, enjoy life a little bit more. Um, I think we all working towards being able to find a way to buy back our time. So we have the freedom that we want. But while you're on that journey, you, you got to take the time and opportunity to be around the people that you love. And so for me, I think um my ideal day, like, you know what I mean? Like in the future would be like, I like to call it like, and I've heard this uh, a few different places, but it's basically like, maybe like four hours of like play, four hours of work, four hours of like family time and like 12 hours a piece. So it's like, that's kind of a 24 hour day in a nutshell. And I think I would tell myself like, you're working towards that, but find time to enjoy along the way. Um, and to always give back. Cause I think the more you give, the more you tend to receive. Um, so yeah my was beautiful thank you <laughs> i just you. told i gave myself practical advice you're like uh <laughs> <laughs> more philosophical because I, I enjoy i enjoy i think everything is a, I, I we also talked about this in the book club but i really do feel like in life you don't lose you only win or you learn and i really believe that i think everything is an opportunity and a lesson so i i wouldn't necessarily change anything and so it's been learning but i would say um do to definitely give yourself more grace um 
and to enjoy life, but also to not, and, and this, I think ties in just well with like being on grateful living podcast. Now, like, don't be afraid to talk to somebody and don't be afraid to reach out and to connect with people because, um, we're humans, you know, we have emotions and emotions in general, you know, that's energy and emotion. We need to connect with people. And this last year has been crazy. Cause we literally were told like, we have to socially distant from people, but it's like, now nah, we're meant to connect with people and it's important. So definitely do that in any way you can. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, we've, we've talked about a good amount. Was there something you wanted to talk about that we haven't? Yeah, I would, I mean, I would just say, um, you know, definitely make sure to follow us at read and retire, um, and to, uh, check out our website. If you haven't at read and retire, we're pretty much read and retire everywhere. Um, subscribe to us on YouTube. If you want to just keep up with our content, um, and, uh, we're on Instagram as well. So, um, feel free to reach out if you have any questions, but, um, yeah, we're just hoping to continue to grow and to scale the, the book, the work that we've been doing through literature. And, um, none of this would have been possible without people like you and without, um, you just helping to, to spread our message and our work. And we just hope that people just continue to enjoy it and build wealth and be successful. So, yeah, we were hoping that, um, everybody that we know, and maybe a few people that they know can actually get to the point where they're financially free. So, if if anything, um, if that's all that happens and all that happens is that me, Dave, our friends, maybe some of their friends end up being financially free, then I think Reed retires a success. Amen. So, I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'd uh, agree. Awesome. Yeah. Um, guys, I just want to acknowledge you. I, I mean, I really think it's it's awesome what you're doing. Um, we didn't really talk about this, but I mean, you know, financial literacy is it's amazing in this country that it's not really taught in school and yeah. things of that nature. Um, that we have to, you know, even if I want to know what a good credit card is, you know, I got to Google that. Like I have to Google that. Like there's, I've never been taught that, like I have to Google that and, and figure that out on my own. And it's never something that we've been taught. So, um, I think the work that you guys are doing, um, trying to help people, um, you know, just read and learn and know more about finances and, and get, better educated to, to put themselves in a better place. Um, you know, as awesome as, as I gave my personal example of, uh, you know, the checking account and not having too much in there. Um, that's been a, a real good practical advice that, you know, changes someone's financial life and future. Um, so keep doing what you're doing. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for being on. Uh, same to you, bro. Um, we appreciate your podcast like a lot because um, we think mental health is 100 percent way more important than uh, finances. Like if you had to pick one, I would always suggest that, you know, make sure that you get yourself um, in a mental state where you can actually handle like a lot of life's challenges. And we appreciate it. And um, I like how you're always getting like a like a very successful, like amazing guest every week. And that's something we hopefully we can start to learn from and do as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank uh, you. Yeah. Appreciate and, and I, and you guys do that on the podcast too. You know, there was the, uh, if you guys check out their first podcast, they, they talk about living at home. Um, and, and that being the, the best financial move, if you can do it and, and be humble about it, you know, and saving yourself anywhere from 12 to 15 K a year. But then Lando, you had a good point. The only exception to that rule being, is if you're in a tough family situation where 
you know, it's not healthy, that's when you have to prioritize your mental health over the, the financial and, and that makes a lot of sense. So you get, you guys do a little bit of it too. I mean, thanks for remembering that. Man. <laughs> yeah, I remember that too. That was a yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. For anybody that wants to join the book club, it's uh, Thursday at 8 PM. Um, feel free to, to uh, reach out to them. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm there every day, every week that I can, and it's really valuable. Um, and we've got a great community of people and um, ideas um, flowing. And uh, yeah, if you want to be on their podcast, uh, feel free to reach out to them as well. And then Eastern time too. So yeah, yeah. Shout out to them. yeah, that's important. Shout out to the East Coast. <laughs> but no, I appreciate you, Arnie. And thank you again for everything, brother. It's been, it's been great. Awesome. Thank you, guys.